0: You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee Podcast. Good day, podcast listeners. Randy Bolander here with the Third Cup of Coffee Podcast. And interestingly, also drinking the third cup of coffee. Had one this morning. The minute I woke up, rolled out of bed, reached for the cup immediately. Had another one as I drove to uh, school with the kids, dropped the kids off at school and got home. And lo and behold, another pot had materialized. There is something beautiful about having uh, your... Mother in her eighties, your German mother live with you because that means coffee is always available. I I don't remember the last time my my mother drank anything other than coffee at any point in her life. This is a true story. Uh, About a year ago, she was was sick and just felt terrible. Just you know that kind of thing where just your toenails hurt. She was that kind of sick, and uh, I poked my head in her room because she lives with us, and I poked my head in her room. I said, Grandma, do you need anything? Her eyes slowly opened and she whispered, coffee, like that was coffee. That's what she wants. So because grandma lives with us, coffee flows like water around here. And I'm on my third cup. This is more than you needed to know. I'm not sure what you're going to hear today, to tell you the truth, because it is springtime at our home. And what that means is a lot of activity. And it also means that they've started building The houses behind our house, and so we're hearing hammers and uh, all kinds of things go on. And some of that may bleed over. Last year, before we moved to this house, I constantly tried to record on Wednesdays, and Wednesdays was lawn mowing day. And every time I got started, they'd hear a lawnmower. So I think uh, lawn mowing is not happening. Uh, Hammers are happening. You may hear hammers. Been a crazy week. Like just a number of strange things have happened. Not the strangest, but the one I'm willing to share is. My debit card number got stolen. Not the card, just the number. And we discovered this when someone spent $175 at a restaurant in a different area of town that I have never, ever been to. I've been to that area of town. I've never been to that restaurant. In fact, when it was charged, I was very occupied somewhere else. And all of a sudden, we notice there's a pending charge for $175. So, of course, we protest with the bank and they say, we'll get right on it. Let me tell you what get right on it means to the bank. Get right on it means we will review it and we will have an answer in 45 days. 45 days! I've never thought of getting right on it as a 45-day period. So, meanwhile, the charge was pending And the next day it actually went through and it went through at $200 because apparently they had tipped and not very well, but they ordered a lot of food. They had, uh, three orders of ribs, tacos, a burger, shrimp, um, some chicken strips. I don't know. It was, someone had a really, really good time and did not tip well in my name. And frankly, I'm insulted. You're stealing money anyway. Would it have killed you to bless somebody while you were doing it? Apparently. Apparently would have had a great Bible study last night. My friend Steve Hickey, uh, who is in Alaska now, works with Alaskan Bible College, has been helping us on midweeks teach a study through the book of Acts. And, you know, in a time of uh, quarantine, when everything is so crazy, there's just something beautifully normal about sitting down with a group of people and opening the Bible and let the conversation wander. Just let it go about what the word says. And it was on topic and off topic and around and back to the topic, but it just felt so refreshingly normal. Even though it was on Zoom, it felt really good. Had a good time with that. A little bit different podcast today in that oftentimes I will go ahead and broadcast the audio of what I had taught the week before. And uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to share some things that I'm getting ready to teach on this coming weekend. Now, if you're a part of the bridge, this does not excuse you from the bridge, okay? What you're going to get this weekend is going to be different and more full than this. This would be like if I were a musician, uh, which I'm not, uh, this would be a demo of the actual sermon. Okay, you know how musicians can produce a demo. The actual song may have full orchestration and sound effects and and production, and the demo was recorded on an acoustic guitar with one broken string in the guy's bathroom on his iPhone. You know, that kind of thing. So this is, musicians can get away with this. They can do things preachers can't. I don't know if you've ever known that. Uh, Musicians can play a cover song, and it's called a tribute. And when preachers preach somebody else's sermon, it's called plagiarism we're not allowed to do that. Also, uh, musicians can give each other awards for really good songs and preachers are not allowed to do that. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Like the annual, the dove award for preachers. <laughs> That's such a terrible idea that I really want to think about it for a while and develop it more fully. Anyway, so this is a, what would be the demo version of what I'm going to talk about this weekend to the bridge. Cause it's a really, really key time for us. Uh, Yesterday was Tuesday. Not sure what day you're listening to this. It's Wednesday. Yesterday was Tuesday. That marked the passing of one year since what developed into the bridge, the church that we are planting, first met. And let me just explain for those of you who who weren't around. um, We didn't talk about church immediately. That was not our point. I remember the first time someone used the word church in reference to what we were doing, and we all kind of giggled. It was like, oh, I, I guess it is, you know. But that was not the original thought behind the whole journey. We were um, we were in a season of just needing some prayer and needing friends around us, and so we asked people to come around us and to pray with us, and that's what what it all started. And so I'm kind of laying down some markers right now regarding the bridge and recognizing where we've been. I want to reflect a little bit and I want you to reflect on your life as well, because markers matter. Uh, you know, I came out of high school and started Bible college relatively close to home, about 200 miles down the road. Uh, stayed very much in the same culture in that it was rural North Dakota. And uh, that's just a, a very unique place. Halfway through my sophomore year, I transferred to a school in Springfield, Missouri, which brought all kinds of things that I had little or no experience with, uh, like Chinese food. I'd never had Chinese food in my life and moved to Springfield and there's Chinese food on every corner. Uh, also met people from Arkansas. And that was, that was interesting in places like New York city. I felt like I had moved to the moon. And one of the differences that no one talked about was how many miles anything was in the distance. Everybody measured distance in time. I remember asking a group of people, how far it is to St. Louis, and they all told me it was about three hours, and I was super confused because that was asking like somebody how tall they were, and they were giving me their temperature. I, w- I wasn't asking how long. I said how far. They were answering by time. I was thinking by distance because I learned that once you left North Dakota, in most of the world, if you ask somebody how far away something was, they replied with how long it took you to get there. It's twenty minutes away. It's three hours away. Six hours away. In North Dakota, distance was ticked off by mile markers. Every mile, every 60 seconds at 60 miles an hour, every 30 seconds at 120 miles an hour, stood a little green sign with a marker designating how far from the beginning of that road or from the state line. And as I was thinking about this, putting the the talk together, I pictured mile marker 73 as you would crest the hill three miles from my home and dip down into the little town where I went to school K through 12. And for a minute I thought about it and I thought, there is no way that's actually mile marker 73. I haven't lived there for 35 years. I haven't been there for 25 years. I looked it up. Sure enough, mile marker 73 just sits south of Velva, North Dakota. Do you remember when you were young and remembered stuff? You still remember that stuff. You just can't remember what happened the day before yesterday, but you remember these things from your childhood. And for those who grew up with them, mile markers, the Midwestern equivalent of altars to progress on a journey, were burned into our memory. I couldn't tell you what color the nearest house was. I couldn't tell you what color the nearest house is to my house right now. But I knew what the mile marker is right before I got to my school. You know, the thing about a journey is you don't get to a mile marker and you stop. It's true. You just keep going. But the mile marker matters. You open the book of Genesis. I want to look at the story of someone on a journey and the marker that they put down to kind of memorialize it. Now, like I said, a year ago, we sent out an email to a few people, not a long list, just a few people. And it was an invitation to go on a journey with Kelsey and I. We didn't tell them where we were going, mostly because we didn't know. And I went back and I found the email super simple. Wasn't anything promised. I'm kind of surprised anybody answered But one part of the email stuck out to me, and I would ask this again in the exact same way. This is what I said in the email. I said, because we are hungry to hear God's voice, and because the days we are living in demand a deeper understanding of his ways, we would like to invite you to join us. So in order to understand what kind of marker that we're thinking about right now, a year later, I want to look at scripture to another marker that someone else put down. And the person that we're going to look at in the Bible here is, uh, he's young, probably younger than most of you. He's got a very checkered recent history. It's not like he's got a shaky distant past. I mean, it's a shaky yesterday. There are things he did this week or this month or this, certainly this year that are a little shifty. Even so, on his journey, he attracted the attention of God. The character's name is Jacob, and Jacob is ambitious. When your name means grabber or usurper and you live up to that name, you quickly get a reputation. He traded his brother out of his birthright. He tricked his father into blessing him. It is a strange twist of truth that our past does not disqualify us from profound encounters with God. Nothing we have done rules out what God might do. And it's not like God has no options or he can't work with other people. But for whatever reason, in each case in our life, he identifies us and he marks us. So even though David is a bit of a charlatan, David, Jacob is, I'm sorry, the sermon is a demo. The actual produced version will be much better. Even though Jacob is a bit of a charlatan, he's not void of heart. He's cheated his brother. He's cheated his father, but he loves his mama. Okay. And he wants to keep her happy. And by the way, she's not. Genesis 27, 46, mama expresses herself. Then Rebecca said to Isaac, this is his mother talking to his father. I loathe my life because of some of these Hittite women. She goes full Karen on Isaac. I loathe my wife because of some of these Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women, like one of these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? She's like, I'd rather die than him marry these ditzy girls. He can't marry here. Now, maybe Rebecca understood that her son was in a bit of trouble. Maybe she understood he was a troublemaker. But like all mothers, she hoped the best for him. And Mama knows that the best for Jacob is not one of these Hittite women. So Jacob left to go towards the land of his ancestors to find a wife. Genesis 28 is where we're at, verses 10 and 11. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place. Now that seems like a random spot in the road, but it's not. Stay with me. And he stayed the night there because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay it down in that place to sleep. Now there's a lot here we don't know. It's not likely. He's traveled much. He's young. He's anxious. He has not been here and done this. He is alone and he has a stone for a pillow. There is no cultural explanation for that. He just had a rock and he used it for a pillow. It was as weird then as it is now. So here he is, the troublemaker, on his first grown up trip, sleeping alongside the road with his head on a rock. And in spite of his history, and in spite of the anger directed towards him, in spite of the fact that he's a little scared and he's got his head on a rock, once he falls asleep, God breaks in. You know, one of the things I love about God is you may not be the most talented or charismatic or deserving person. You may not have the greatest intellect. You might have not the, the richest history of obedience. But at some point, you shut your eyes and you go to sleep. And in that realm where your defenses are down and your objections are down and your history is not there to haunt you, the Spirit of God can break in. And in this case, the Spirit of God hovers over the chaos that is Jacob, This will not be the biggest train wreck that God hovers over and brings good to. In fact, God has a history of visiting people in their dreams and shaking them to their core. People who are godly and people who are ungodly. Daniel 2, 1 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. He had dreams. One of the things that I pray for people in leadership, godly and ungodly people, is that God will speak to them in their dreams. I pray for the dream life of elected officials. Joe Biden's got to sleep sometime. Mitch McConnell's got to sleep sometime. And when they sleep, the Lord is able to press past the defenses that they've built and speak directly to them. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. Jacob dreamed. And what Jacob dreamed was pretty pretty amazing he says and behold there was a ladder upset up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God were ascending and descending on it now, sometimes what's really going on takes a bit of a wider perspective, okay? And you just look at this one or two verses, and it, and it seems very narrow, but imagine if I were to describe what is going on in your house simply by looking through the keyhole. In addition to being creepy, I probably wouldn't have the full perspective or the full view. I might know the characters, but I wouldn't know the play. And sometimes we see what is happening by using the broader work of the Bible. So let's go down a short scriptural trail here to understand what Jacob is seeing the best way to interpret the Bible is to see if there are other passages in the Bible that shed any light on it. What David, David, I keep preaching about David. I told you it's a demo. What Jacob is seeing here is a Christophany. It's an appearance of Jesus, both as a man as a, and as a symbol. How do we know that? Well, Jacob doesn't say that. and I don't know that Jacob even would have known it. But in John 1, Jesus sees Nathaniel coming towards him and he calls out to him, he calls out to him and Nathaniel's baffled. He asks, how, how did you know me? And Jesus talks to him and explains, I saw you when you were under the fig tree and I, I knew what you were thinking at the time. And then he finalizes his phrase by saying, and this he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open to the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus references angels ascending and descending on the son of man. He is the connection point between heaven and heaven. And earth. No man comes to the Father but by Jesus, and apparently even angels don't have access that the Son does, and the Son provides it. The Son of Man as a phrase can have a really nuanced meaning, but scholars agree that this was a reference to Daniel 7, where the King of Glory comes to judge the world, and he was called the Son of Man. So when Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, in this case, that's what he's referring to. He's referring to Daniel 7. Where it says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. So Jesus is referring to himself as the vision in Daniel and Jacob's ladder all at once. Jacob encounters angels, but he also encounters God himself in the form and in the display of Jesus. And while he may not have articulated it as we do with the fuller knowledge, because we've got the full body of Scripture, he knew from that encounter there was a way to get to God that even angels needed. Back to Genesis 28. Jesus appears as the ladder and above the ladder. Verse 13 says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of, your, of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Now this sounds like pageantry but it's really just an introduction. He's saying, I was your father's God. I was your grandfather's God. And now I am here and you need to know me in a way that others have known me in the past. You know, a lot of effort has gone into preserving the church. Making sure that the old things continue to exist. Sometimes I think we've worked too hard to preserve the wrong parts. Some of the tradition, some of the comfort points that we knew as kids. We've invested a lot of energy and time and left much of the church with property and without people. There is no propagation or continuity of the story of God in the lives of people without individual encounter with the Lord. Jacob was being told, your grandfather knew me. Your father knew me. And now you're going to know me because if you don't know me, this whole story ends. Churches in America are hemorrhaging young people. It was happening before the pandemic, and now it's happening more than ever. I'm not just talking about rebellious, angry young people, I'm talking about good, solid young adults who are just choosing to opt out and we're discovering that they did not grow full of God by association. They did not grow close to God by proximity because they went to church with mom and dad. Any more than we grow full of sin by proximity. Sin doesn't enter your heart because you're near it. I mean, proximity can tempt you, but you have to have to commit the sin. And the opposite is true. You don't have a rich encounter with the Lord because your family has had a rich encounter in the Lord. It happens one-on-one. And this being Jesus here, Jesus makes a promise to him. Jacob's family's got a rich history of promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jesus at the top of the ladder calls down with a promise of his own to Jacob. Genesis 28, 13-15. The land on which you lie... Remember, the land on which you are laying there, scared cold with a rock for a pillow, that land I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. This is the same promise that his father told him would be his, but this is the voice of God confirming it. Now, I've used these terms before to describe what the promise was about, but I just want to revisit them again, because these are the sorts of promises that God gives people, and I really believe this is the sort of promise that God is giving the bridge. He says, I want to give you a place, I want to give you a people, and I want to give you a purpose. I will bring you back to this land. Why here? It's not where I'm going right now. But God says, no, I'm going to give you this land because this is where I'm going to meet you. There's a geographical component to meeting with God, especially throughout the Bible and especially in the New Testament where gathering is commanded of the believers in Jesus. In the Old Testament, He's promising them a nation. Now, I don't surmise we're going to have a nation, but we're going to have a place. In 2021, the bridge will gather under a roof and online. The Lord's going to give us a place. I know you're thinking, Randy, do you know something we don't know? All I know is God is making promises. Like he told Jacob, we'll have a place. He also told Jacob, you're going to have a people, you're going to have offspring. Now, keep in mind, he's talking to an unmarried guy with a rock for a pillow. There are no offspring immediately there. Now he's on his way to meet his wife's sister, and then the wife that he wanted, and that's a whole squirrely story of its own, but right now he's being promised things that are not there. One of the things that I am sure of in planting the bridge is that as it comes into maturity, we will have a people. It will include those who've gathered already, and it will increase to include others friends, and family, some family members and friends that we have never met. Why? Because new things mean life, and when God calls people to new things, he brings people to them. We will have a place. We will have a people. And we will have those things because we will have a purpose. He told Jacob, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, in saying we will have a purpose, I want to stand against any anticipatory thing in our hearts that says that when we land in a place and we start to grow, that then we have made it. I believe those things will happen, but when we have our place and when God adds people, none of that's for us. It is through us. And as the bridge matures and steps into our promises, the point is so that in our maturing and in our glorifying Jesus, all the families of Kansas City and beyond are blessed. As this comes into the fullness of what God has for us, I want to conduct ourselves in such a way that if we were to disappear, it would leave a huge hole in the city because we bless the city. Now, having started during a pandemic and online, we have still pressed in to that idea of having an impact. We've partnered with the Mission Orphanage in Mexico. We've partnered with our friend Stephen Kristen Hickey, who are still a part of our fellowship and minister in Alaska. But what the bridge will bring also has to come to every neighborhood and subdivision that we live in. The fullness of his promise to us is a place and a people unto a purpose and affecting people around us. Sometimes when we're promised something and it doesn't happen immediately, we can get a little indignant, can't we? If things don't look exactly like we think they should. Years ago, we got off an airplane at LAX with our kids and one of them who apparently expected certain things, went into immediate meltdown in LAX and began to lay on the floor and cry, this isn't California. I don't know what they thought California was like, but LAX was not it. At the time of this promise to Jacob, what are the number of things that are true for him? Like what are the things that God is talking about that are happening? Zero. Zero. Like, none of this. This is not California, okay? So does he get up and pout? No. Verse 16 says, Jacob awoke from his dream, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob recognized that the place and the moment of promise was as holy as as the place and moment of fulfillment. Some of you are receiving promises from the Lord right now, and you wake up from the dream and you look around. None of it's there. But the place where that happens, where you are given that vision, is as holy as where it takes place. Bible goes on to say that early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Get that? My God. He's making it personal now. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you gave me I will give a full tenth to you. He very easily could have said, When I get it all together... When I get my ducks all in a row, I'm going to memorialize this. I'm going to do something significant when I have the ability to do so. I'm going to hold a parade. Maybe I'm going to do a GoFundMe and put a sign up here. But no, no, no. He takes what he has in the moment, this little rock pillow, the sign of his discomfort, and he builds a marker. He doesn't despise his position or his location. He uses it to mark his progress. And when he does that, he does three other things. He renames the location. From Luz, which meant almond tree, it also meant a crooked tree, he changes it to Bethel, the house of God. You build a marker when God empowers you to see circumstances differently than you perceived them. It is a mindset shift, and that's what he does. Then he vows to honor God. He charts a course for his life here. You build a marker when you come to understand that God is more real than you imagined when you laid down with your head on that pillow of a rock. Then he vows to give a tithe to the Lord. He ties his economics to His obedience in the Lord. You build a marker when you realize and you respond to the giver of your increase with your tithe. And I'm thinking now, what does it mean for us to build an arc, build a marker? Why are we doing this? Is this because we've reached a year's anniversary, and now as a, a little church body, we become legitimate? No, we got a lot of growth to do. But we also have a lot of promise. So we take what we have, the rock that was our pillow, and we put it before the Father. We don't build a marker because we've arrived. We build one because of where we have been, and we testify to the hand of God in our life. Now, I told you at the beginning, This is a demo sermon. This isn't the real thing. I'm going to talk more on Sunday about the things that we did not know and the things that we did know and are still sure of. There's a lot we didn't know when we launched into this thing. But the things that we knew from the beginning, that we were hungry for God and that we knew we needed to hear Him speak and that if we heard Him speak, it could change everything. That's still all true. We're going to lay down a marker in prayer and in our giving and in our heart's intent towards one another and towards the King. And we are going to believe for a place and a people and a promise that everyone in our city would be blessed because we've obeyed the Lord. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week on The Third Cup of Coffee.